You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Sharon Allen OBE is from Derbyshire and began her career as a social worker and recently became the new CEO of Arthur Rank Hospice. Always offering young people the advice not to panic when it comes to choosing a career at an early age, Sharon boldly created her own career path that now covers over 30 years of experience of public service provision in social care and housing. I'm the same person at work, at home, at play, because I think authenticity is really important. A qualified social worker and housing professional, Sharon Allen became Chief Executive Officer of Skills for Care in 2010, having previously been CEO of a large social care and supported housing organisation. Now, Sharon, you've worked in the public and voluntary sector, social care and supported housing sectors for more than 30 years. And in 2015, you were awarded an OBE for services to social care and homeless people and housing. And April this year, you became Chief Executive of Arthur Rank Hospice Charity, who support people in Cambridgeshire living with a life-limiting illness and those who need end-of-life care. Great to have you here for Women Making Waves, Sharon Allen. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. That's quite a list I've just read out there. (laughs) I don't know where to start, but I think the most important place to start, I think, is from the beginning. And you became a social worker. What made you want to become a social worker? Well, I left school when I was 16 and didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be perfectly honest with you. So to any young people out there who are thinking that, don't panic because the future can be great. And when I was in my early 20s, I started working for the local authority in Derby, Derbyshire, which is where I'm from originally, as a social work assistant. And that was a role working in a team with social workers and occupational therapists supporting people in the community. And I loved that job. And then I was very fortunate, as I have been throughout my career, to be honest, by being encouraged by um, colleagues in the team who said to me, why don't you go and do your social work qualification? And I applied to go and be a social worker because I was working with them, looking at what they were doing and thinking, I want to do that. I want to be able to support people to take better control of their lives, to make decisions and to help them move on from difficult situations. It sounds a very mature thing to be thinking about at such a young age, but was there something in your family that gave you that sort of empathy and and that caring nature? Probably. um, I suppose uh, I come from a a very religious family. My family, my dad was a a Methodist minister, so I grew up in the church. And I guess that sort of nurturing and and caring is probably sort of running through me like a stick of rock. Did you say you went to university or did you go straight to becoming a social worker? So back back then, we're talking quite a long time ago. I know you can't (laughs) believe it looking at me. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll talk about that later because I just, I love your hair. Thank you. (laughs) Now, social work is a, a degree 
level qualification like many professional qualifications but when I qualified it was a postgraduate qualification so I went to college in Birmingham and did what was called a certificate of qualification in social work. Right okay so you did that and then what was your first job after you came out of that qualification? That's a really interesting question. My first role was as a community development social worker, a role that doesn't really exist so much now. There are pockets around the country who who have this role and it's a source of regret to me to be honest that we moved very much away from that community development approach into much more of a case management, care management approach. So back then I was working um, in quite a deprived part of Nottinghamshire with uh, my community health colleague and we were working with lots of different community groups helping them to sort out how they wanted to change things for themselves and for their communities so for example we were working with uh, mother and toddler groups women's um, assertiveness groups this is you can tell it was the 80s can't you <laughs> tenants groups and health groups Um, supporting people to bring about change and it was a great job. That amazing long list of all your qualifications and they're really, really impressive, Sharon, I have to say. But what comes out at you from all the experience up until you become CEO of Arthur Rank Hospice that has really been very impressionable time in your career? I think it is that drive to, to make things better. And to um, it's, a, it's a kind of overused phrase because people really resonate with it, but it is to to kind of be the change you want to see. So I my first management role was managing a, a smallish project in Bradford for homeless women and children. And I got to that organisation and there were lots of things about it that were great and there were quite a lot of things that really needed to change. And I embarked on a a programme of change. I listened to the the women and children using the service. I listened to my colleagues. I listened to the people who needed to refer people into us and found out what they wanted to change and started making those changes. And for about six months, it was fabulous. You know, everybody thought it was wonderful. And then I started experiencing just a wee bit of pushback and a bit of tension which I couldn't understand because the changes I was bringing about were things people had asked me to do and as often happens the light dawned as I was talking to someone about about this and saying I don't understand why why suddenly I'm getting this resistance and it was because I was trying to do too much change too much too quickly and I needed to just pace it better and let the changes bed in before we made the next change. That was a very, very valuable lesson for me um, in how you take people with you and this emphasis again on with, not to. And you mentioned about listening, which Mm. is is always really key, isn't it, whenever we are working in an environment. And have you found with your roles over the years and now that you you listen more as opposed to them listening to you? Do you find that's a really important factor? Absolutely. I think one of the things I've learned is it's much more important to be listening than speaking. And um, about three years ago, I did a coaching programme. So I now offering offering coaching as well. And that's one of the things that I do through my role at Arthur Rank Hospice to generate a little bit more income for the charity. So that's a nice win-win for all of us. I learnt there that many of us, when we think we're listening, what we're actually doing is formulating our response 
So if you take the time to genuinely listen to what somebody's saying, you will have a much richer conversation. And I work very hard to discipline myself to do that and to listen first. Um, In our senior team meeting, I ensure that I'm the last to speak. So I hear my colleagues first. I hear what they have to say. And then I make my contribution. Tell us about your job as CEO for Skills for Care, because I don't think a lot of people know about it. It's obviously well known in your area, but just tell us a little bit about Skills for Care and and, and your role and what you had to do. You're right. Uh, I often say to people, they'll say, what did you do before? And I'll say, I worked for an organisation called Skills for Care. You've probably never heard of it. And most people say, no, I haven't. Occasionally people go, yeah, no, I know Skills for Care. So Skills for Care is a national organisation, national in England, working with social care employers to help them to get and keep and develop their workforce And um, people, I think, will be familiar with social care now in a way they weren't when I first started in that job because it's been in the headlines, unfortunately, mostly for the wrong reasons. Mm, That's right. The fact that there's, there's not enough money and all those sorts of things. And, of course, what that means is it's very difficult for employers to encourage people to come into the sector and take those jobs up. Um, and it makes it difficult to keep people in those roles. Um, so Skills for Care does a fantastic job and they're still doing a fantastic job. And they're also looking for their next CEO. So if anybody fancies it, <laughs> take a look at so their website. you left the chair empty. I did. Yes, sorry about that. <laughs> Needs I must. I left it in, in very, very capable interim hands. One of my colleagues has stepped up and done a, done a great job. Absolutely. So Skills for Care provides lots and lots of resources for employers um, and runs learning events and engages with employers to find out what the issues are for them. Skills for Care works very closely with the Department of Health and Social Care, with civil servants and ministers, almost being that sort of conduit, relaying messages back and forth and looking at what else we can do to try and make things better uh, and to ensure that the people who work in social care are recognised and valued for the fabulous job they do. Now, if we go to June 2015, you were awarded an OBE for services to social care, homeless people and housing. Mm. That was an incredible thing to happen. It was. Were, were you taken aback by the offer? I absolutely was. When the envelope arrived, I looked at it and thought, oh, goodness, this looks very formal and official. And what is it? I thought, oh dear, have I, you know, kind of... Did I it have know. the Buckingham Palace crest on the envelope then? It did. Yeah. Um, and I opened it and I was I was sat at the, at the table um, and just thought, oh my goodness, I, I couldn't believe it, to be honest, that little old me from Derby somebody had thought I was worthy of an OBE and it was a, an amazing privilege. So when you received that letter, did it? Did you reflect back to everything that had happened before that day? Did mm. you feel that, why, why, why me? Well, I think what I recognise about it and what I said at the time and, and still very much believe is that it, it's about my role leading organisations, but it's not just about me, it's about all those fabulous colleagues and people that I have worked with and very much about the organisations that I have been part of and am now part of. So let's get to your new role Mm. on the 1st of April with Arthur Rank Hospice. That's another great achievement but I I hear you 
completely fallen in love with this <laughs> this this whole organisation. So tell us a bit about your job here. <laughs> I have completely fallen in love. You're you're uh, absolutely correct describing it in that way. So Arthur Rank Hospice Charity, as many of your listeners will know, is a local charitable organisation providing palliative and end-of-life care services for people throughout Cambridgeshire. And what that means is people who are diagnosed with a a life-limiting condition, so that might be cancer or it might be motor neurone disease or multiple sclerosis or heart failure for example they can be referred to us and one of the really important messages I want people to understand is that we are not just there for people at the end of their lives that is a very important part of what we do and we have our inpatient unit where people can um, be referred and come and have a good death with their loved ones and their family and their dogs and whoever else with them. We can also uh, support people through our community specialist nursing team and our hospice at home service to support people who want to die in their own home, which is what most people would prefer if, if that option is available to them. Importantly, we also have our day therapy services. So when people have been diagnosed, They can be referred to us and they can come for eight weeks of therapy, a range of therapies, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, complementary therapies, socialisation, meeting other people who might be in a similar position. And we can support people to learn to live well with the diagnosis that they've been given. Um, We also have our our centre up in uh, Wisbeach, our Alan Hudson Day Treatment Centre, which provides a range of treatments and day therapy for people living um, in the north of the county. I'm going to touch on the sentence that you said about good death because we've always had this sort of, I don't know, stigma Mm. about how we treat end of life, how we treat hospice. And I personally think it's got better. Mm. And I'm sure it has got better because that's the way you're telling me now. Mm. But at what point did you see that change? When did it start to get better and why? Well, I think the the modern hospice movement um, dates back to around the the 1960s um, and when Dame Cicely Saunders started looking at uh, what we needed to provide people with a good death and the hospice movement has grown from there and has continued to evolve as as things change with people. I think that still, unfortunately, you're right, there is a, um, a stigma, a fear about talking about death. We don't know what to say to somebody when somebody has had somebody that they love die. We start using euphemisms like, you know, they've passed away or... Uh, other things or we we avoid talking about it altogether and of course what we know is that that's so unhelpful Mm. people want to talk and does it matter if you start talking and somebody starts crying that's that's healthy isn't it all you need to do is put your arm around them or hold their hand or pass them a tissue Uh, it's fine it's natural and we need to just be able to talk more openly and I get the impression that this is still this happens now a lot that you bring the community in yes not only the families Absolutely. but the community yes. on a voluntary basis or you have friends come in or yeah. you have people get to see what it's like to be in a hospice which yeah. is it's quite important isn't it because really it important. is part of life it's really important. So first thing I, I want to just respond to that is um, that we have nearly 600 fabulous people who volunteer with us in every part 
of what we do. So we have volunteers in our shops, in our bistro, on our reception, in our inpatient unit. We could not do what we do without our wonderful volunteers. So a big thank you to all of them. Secondly, I'm really keen that people see the hospice as part of the community, somewhere they can come. I want to dispel some of those myths and fears about what a hospice is. Um, Often when people come to visit me for the first time or they come into our bistro, which is open to the public, and they see what a lovely, light, airy place we have. That's interesting. So the, the bistro is open to the public? It is, yes. Excellent. Yeah, so people can come in, have delicious, fresh cooked food, fabulous cakes. We do cakes very, very well in hospices. (laughs) They're always a winner cakes. Well, indeed. (laughs) We also have um, Arthur's Shed, which is uh, a really nice garden studio, actually not a shed, in our beautiful gardens. And that's also open to the community to come in and do a range of activities. So we really want to encourage people to come in, meet us, see what we've got to offer, see how we care and support for people and see that we are a place of life and death and that we do that with care and compassion for everybody and that focus on the whole family we're not just there for the person who has the illness we're there for their family as well because we know that you know none of us exist in isolation and we need to support the whole of somebody's family friends everybody who's important Sharon, if we talk about the younger generation and them thinking about going into become social workers or going into the social care, what would you say to them? What would be something that's an important part to look out for if that's the way you're inclined to go? Because you could have lots of empathy for it, but it might not be for you. What are the Mm -hmm. tick boxes that you need to get across? Mm. So one of the things that we do, I think, very well in the hospice is uh, we provide student placements for all disciplines. So we have student occupational therapists, student physiotherapists, student psychologists, student medics, student nurses, which is brilliant, um, you know, kind of nurturing that next generation of colleagues. And I think if you want to go into any of what we term the caring professions to be a social worker or any of those other roles, you need to be really clear that it is a fantastic opportunity and there will be many, many highs and it is also hard work. You need to be willing to put yourself out. You must be focused always on the person and what they need and what their family's needs are. It's not about the organisation. It's not about us as workers. We are there to provide the best possible service that we can. So every day you've got to go in and give of your best. Mm. What about the way that your actual role and job affects you and your family? Do you come home at work and find there have been some very, very sad days? I'm a great believer in you bring your whole self to work. You know, I am who I am at work. That's a song, isn't it? I won't burst into (laughs) song. But but I, I am. I'm the same person at work, at home, at play, because I think authenticity is really important. So, yes, some days you go home and it's a bit difficult to not keep thinking about things. However, I know it's really important that I take good care of me because if I don't, I can't get up and go back the next day and do a good job. I'm very fortunate that I've got an amazingly supportive partner. I've got fabulous friends and I... I live life to the full. I do enjoy myself. I love live music. I go out to lots of music gigs and I exercise and do all the things that you you should do to, to take good care of yourself. 
And I think it's particularly interesting because I always admire women, especially women. I know men do it too, but I especially admire women when you change the style of your haircut. <laughs> now, I have seen some pictures of you when you've had beautiful brown short hair and you've yes. told me you used to have long brown hair as well. Yes. And now you've got this fantastic beautiful blonde short hair it's almost like a very modern style since i was in my early 20s so i all through my kind of childhood and very early teens i had hair almost down to my waist and uh, my dad didn't speak to me for a week when I first had it cut but that was a long time ago and since then I have had probably just about every shade and shape of hair you can imagine and I really mean that including you know pink purple oh that's great yeah I've, I've done a lot do you think that reflects your personality is it because um, you're probably. game on you're just really wanting to try you yes. don't mind change yes. I think that's probably what I, I'm trying to say yes I think that's true yeah. So what has challenged you the most then, apart from your, your dad and your long hair being cut? <laughs> what what has challenged you besides your job? Um, I think probably when members of my family or close friends have had serious health issues, that's a very difficult thing. Um, you know, I, you, you, I, you can't have got to, to my age, I don't think, without having had uh, some grief and loss yourself. And I, I have had that. And it really makes you think. Actually, working in the hospice and doing some of the reading and the learning that I have done also makes me think again and makes me even more determined to live every day because we none of us know what tomorrow will bring it's also made me, I hope, um, more reflective in my relationships and just focusing on what really matters. We all kind of annoy each other with silly little things, but honestly, does it really matter? Mm. So I'm trying to focus on what matters and, uh, you know, putting my energy into things that can make a difference and that are important and letting the other stuff just... Whew, but have you had moments where you've really felt that you haven't had the energy? Have you? I'm not asking you to name what you have had, but has it been a case that it's not always been like that every day? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I have been through very, very low times in my life, very, very difficult times. So I understand for people who, who are struggling just how difficult it can be. And my message would be one of hope that however low you are, Things will get better. They absolutely will. And you, 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 you know, let people support you. I quite often, you know, people quite often struggle with accepting thanks and compliments, don't they? That's true. That's so a, that I, is a good point. And, and one of the things I say to people when, when I give them some praise and feedback and they start brushing it off and going, Ugh, is, you know, actually, this is a gift. So don't give me that gift back. Accept it. And if you had to describe yourself <laughs> in maybe two or three adjectives, if you were really, really honest with yourself, what what would you say about yourself? It's it's always an interesting one because yeah. you know you've just said that you um, encourage people to take the compliments. Yeah. So I always ask my my guests sometimes if they're brave or if they've done something particularly interesting to them but <laughs> describing themselves has been quite hard actually mm. so I wouldn't describe myself as particularly brave but I will just say that uh, I have been persuaded to sign up to do a fire walk as a 
part of one of the fundraising. I know. Look at your face. I am. I'm just thinking. <laughs> it's a good face for radio, well, folks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't do it, but anyway. Yeah, well, so I am doing it. Wow. Um, and uh, anybody who'd like to sponsor me can go to my Just Giving page. But I'm I'm not naturally brave. Well. That's a silly thing to say. Of course I am. I've done all sorts of things um, and I've pushed myself uh, and, and you know, from a very shy young woman to being CEO of Arthur Rank Hospice Charity. Yeah, I'm brave. I'm authentic. I am absolutely the real deal. If I say something, I mean it. And I'm also really good fun. Are there more women social workers than men or is yes. it is it? Oh, it is still the Without same. A shadow of a doubt. Now, why do you think that is? More women social workers, more women social care workers, more women nurses. The hospice is massively female. Uh, in fact, I could probably name all the men that work there. There's so few of them, which is a shame, actually, because uh, we want more men in caring professions and caring organisations. I think it's a lot to do with stereotypes and you know women are seen as nurturing and caring and we are and men can be nurturing and caring too and many of them are I think it's to do with ambition and what children are encouraged to do I think sadly we still fall into stereotypes about what's girls work and what's boys work and we really must address this to say that any of us can do anything it can be quite challenging for boys and men who want to go into the caring professions they probably get quite a lot of stick about that still and that is sad and it's a responsibility of all of us to change this it is interesting a um, topic actually because there is this theory that once we get men talking things will be better there's Mm. this sort of cultural chasm really Mm. where women are talking women are doing the social care Mm. and there's no in between Mm. and I'd like to see more of that obviously you would too and do do you strive to do that do you strive to look out for more men when when you're trying to get volunteers and also social workers as well well when we're recruiting obviously we put our adverts out and encourage anybody who's got the right skills qualifications and obviously you you can't discriminate and we wouldn't want to discriminate but definitely yes we want to put the message out we want more men we want more people from different ethnic backgrounds we want a wider age group because we want our services to be reflective of the community that we serve and we all know that if you see somebody who looks like you you're more likely to think I could do that too. Sharon Allen, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you very much. That was Sharon Allen, OBE, talking to Susie Thorpe. It was a hard act to follow because Dr Lynn Morgan, who was the ex-CEO, was revered and uh, very much loved by everybody. But it sounds like Sharon Allen has been the perfect replacement. Yes, I think she has. And by all accounts, what she said, she loves her job. She's she's revelling. She absolutely loves her. And I, it's almost like she was designed to take this job. She has come a long way and she's got a lot of experience. And I think I was quite fascinated, actually, by her becoming a social worker, first of all, when she said it was a really hard job. Uh, it is indeed a hard job. It's not something that I think I would be terribly good at. But it sounds like she 
she's doing a great job. It has got a reputation for being such a friendly place, actually. Everybody talks about the Arthur Rank Hospice in the local area as being surprising and not what they expected. It's not gloomy, it's not a dark place, it's light and friendly. And I think what I found really interesting as well is she says the cafe is open to everyone at the hospice and I thought that was quite forward-thinking and not trying to cover up a hospice because it's end-of-life care. I loved when you were talking about her haircut as well. I know. We talk about being personal, Susie, <laughs> but it sounds, it sounds like it's great. I did actually ask her, Linda, if it was OK for me to talk about her haircut. <laughs> I liked it because I love the way she changes her hairstyle. It's great. It's really, I, I think it's brave as well as liberating actually mm-hmm. well I was like that when I was young as well actually I used to ch- ch- change my hair quite a lot because do you know what at the end of the day it grows back very true indeed I might just go blonde then you're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio mm-hmm. 